0: worship. I'm only trying to help. Would you please stop calling me that? Sure, Leah. You make it so difficult sometimes. I do. I really do. You could be a little nicer, though. Come on, admit it. Sometimes you think I'm all right.
1: Occasionally, maybe, when you aren't acting like a scoundrel. Scoundrel? Scoundrel?
0: I like the sound of that. Stop that. Stop what?
1: Stop that. My hands are dirty.
0: My hands are dirty too. What are you afraid of?
2: I'm afraid?
0: You're trembling.
2: I'm not trembling.
0: You like me because I'm a scoundrel. I aren't enough scoundrels.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 484, The Princess and the Scoundrel. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Han Solo and Princess Leia to my Chewbacca, we've got Carl Leclaire and Mary Lara, first-time guest to the lair. Welcome!
0: Thank you so much.
1: We're so excited to have you with us. I have... Mary Laura, I've loved our conversations over Instagram and especially about this book that I think is fair to say you and I have both mutually had such a fondness for it. So um, as Jason and I were getting ready to like talk about the show or talk about the book, I was like, I've got the perfect guest for us. <laughs> so, um, so thank, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for making the time to, to be on the show. Excited um, to get to it. So... Before we dive into our conversation about the book itself, uh, one of my favorite things to do anytime we have a new guest on the show is to just ask my two favorite Star Wars questions. And um, we were chatting a little bit before we hit record, so I've been spoiled to one of your answers, but uh, just so folks know who are listening, I always love to ask a Star Wars fan, what's your favorite Star Wars movie?
0: Okay, so mine is Empire Strikes Back. I'm an Empire girl.
1: <laughs> I think that's excellent. I think that's always a great answer. <laughs> no answer is not wrong, biased. but that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, not biased at all, are you, Carl? Not even a little. Um, no, no, not at all. <laughs> and uh, and then my other question I love to ask folks is who is in it's I feel like this one actually might be the harder question, but who's your favorite Star Wars character?
0: This is actually easy for me because it's Leia. Um, Nice.
1: Nice. (laughs) Ever since
0: I started watching it, she's been my favorite. I have a lot of favorite secondary characters, but she is my ultimate favorite.
1: Excellent. Excellent.
2: How long have you been watching Star Wars then out of curiosity?
0: Uh, Since I was eight. For a while and started reading the books in junior high.
2: It's the perfect age to get into Star Wars. (laughs)
1: I I was literally talking to two friends today and we were, we were, the three of us were trying to figure out how old we were when we first got introduced to star Wars. And I finally figured out that I was nine. I thought I was younger than that, but I was nine when I was introduced. So I was like, all right, that's, that's, that's a good showing. So eight, that's Uh, pretty good. Jason, I think you were also in that age range, right? Seven. Seven. I was seven.
2: Yeah. All right,
1: way to one-up us. Seven, Um, eight, nine. Well, I mean, I was going to turn... I
2: I turned eight (laughs) shortly thereafter, but I watched it... Special editions were my first Star Wars. They came out in January, February, and my birthday was in May.
1: So, you know. Fair enough, fair enough. Close enough. Um, So, as you can probably guess by the title of the episode, we are going to be looking at the novel by Beth Revis, The Princess and the Scoundrel. um, And... I know there have been quite a few like book review episodes about this out there across the Star Wars podcasting world, um, but that's not what we're going to exactly do. We are, as in typical Wampazler fashion, just going to talk about some of our favorite parts of the book, whether it's themes or moments, things like that. So that's what we'll be diving into in today's episode. So if you've not yet read the book and want to say spoiler free, you are now being warned. Come back later because we will be talking about intimate details from the book itself. So if you don't want to be spoiled and have not yet read Princess and the Scoundrel, come back after you have. But for those of you who haven't read it and want to read a copy for free, oh, this is going to be awkward. Because I'm going to say stick around until the end because we're going to do a giveaway which isn't exactly fair to tell you to stick around to the end when you've not read it. So spoiler alert, just head over to our Instagram this week and you will see an announcement for the giveaway. Um, and for those of you who haven't read the book and don't care about spoilers, welcome to stay as well.
2: Exactly. It's going to be
1: fun. It's it's a, it's a fun little book. Uh,
2: I enjoyed it. So uh, I guess, Carl, should we, before we jump into some of our favorite moments, should we kind of give like overall impressions
1: of the book absolutely so mary laura when you finished reading this book what were kind of yeah just like your initial thoughts and and feelings about it
0: um i was just like i love this book (laughs) it's kind of my (laughs) thought like the whole way down but um especially at the end i think you know a lot of star wars books have that happy ending but not always and it was just kind of you know, the Rebels are coming off of their their victory. They just built the second Death Star um, and we finally get some happy endings here. Um, and then, I mean, the book wasn't just pure fluff. It was a little bit of a roller coaster. But at the end, you know, it all worked out and just I just loved it. It was so fun.
1: Yeah, it really was um and what about you jason what what were, what were your thoughts when you finished listening to it so i guess i should have asked this yep. beforehand but mary laura i'm i'm guessing you read the book right like had a copy i did read it. yeah yeah did
2: that. yeah
1: and jason yeah. i know you're an audible fella so you yes. listened to the book what were your thoughts Absolutely. as you finished listening
2: um i i thoroughly enjoyed it it was it was a good book um it's it's not one of my favorites i like you know but it's not one I dislike at all. It, it, it's a smaller scale book. The scale of the the adventure in this is a lot smaller than, you know, a, a lot of Star Wars books out there. And I'm definitely a fan of the big epic sprawling world building kind of things. Um, so it was, it was nice to kind of take a break from that and have, you know, a, a quiet, more intimate story. Um, and it's nice to see how that can be done within Star Wars. Um, but it was, it was fun. And I think there's some really good moments in here that uh, I'm eager to talk about. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I
1: enjoyed it. Yeah. So. And Carl, how about you? I was hoping you'd ask. Um, <laughs> 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 Obviously I really, really loved it. And, and I loved it in a very different way from some of my new favorite canons of Cause this is probably among one of my favorite new canon books. Um, And kind of to your point, uh, it was definitely a small scale story. It was a much more zoomed in little intimate story. So the plot itself didn't blow me away. It wasn't anything that was like, oh, my gosh, these are like galactic scales at at stake. But I love stories that don't always have galactic scales at stake. Um, The reason I loved it is because it's I think Beth Revis hit so perfectly the character of Han and Leia in a way no other Star Wars author that I've ever read has been able to do. Um, Especially like Legends canon. I've been reading a lot of Legends canon in the last couple of years. And while those those stories are super fun, they particularly don't do much justice to Han or Leia. Um, Han is a very one-dimensional character. Leia is often not very well fleshed out. But Beth Revis gave us such an incredible... In-depth look at the hearts of these two characters, and I think that's what really blew me away. Was I felt like I got to meet a very flesh and blood, flesh and blood Han that I hadn't met since Alden Ehrenreich, um, and a very flesh and blood Leia that I don't think any author has quite captured. Um, and I don't mean that is as, as a, a slam on anybody else, but I think Beth Revis has just did something so incredibly delightful. Um, that she kind of raised the bar for future authors cat tackling these characters um, because she just absolutely, absolutely hit it out of the park. Um, so, And, and, and for think, that reason, I just absolutely was in love with the story. Absolutely.
2: And I think if you are someone who enjoys listening to audiobooks, I think that the way they did the audiobook mm. really kind of leans into that aspect of things because they had two narrators – um, they had Saskia Marleveld and Mark Thompson, and uh, the two of them alternated chapters you know when the chapters alternated perspectives and then in the final chapter, they alternated like sections of the chapter uh, and it, it was really cool the way that it all uh, was done and came together and it, it really kind of helped you get into the heads of Han and Leia uh, a lot better um than some of the other books i've listened to before so it it was it was a really great way to do something um a little bit different when you're not gonna have like giant explosions um Mm -hmm. all over the place in a book like this so um so yeah i think the audiobook really stepped it up too um in that regard
1: yeah and um thanks to you i was also able to listen to it um and uh, I will say one of the things they also nailed with this audiobook was the music. I mean, a lot. I mean, all the audiobooks use Star Wars music, but this one really got it right. They used very important themes in really good moments. So I was I yeah. was really impressed with the production value. I mean, they've all been good. But this one also was like just kind of kind of a, a new bar was set. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah, very, definitely. very, very pleasurable. So. Clearly, we all enjoyed this book. And let's talk about some of the things that we loved the most. So, Mary Lara, what was one of the first things that kind of stood out to you from the book that, that really resonated?
0: Um, so just kind of bouncing off the audiobook thing, I loved that we got to see Han and Leia's perspective. Like, if you're going to write a Han-Leia book, then I think it was important we got both of them there. So I loved that, like, going back and forth. Um, between the chapters, so we really did get to see both their point of views in there. Um, Just one thing that I loved, I thought was hilarious, was that um, chapter where Lando essentially throws on a bachelor party and is crashed by Ewoks. I was laughing so hard because I could just literally hear them doing that in my head. (laughs) It was hilarious.
2: Oh, Oh, yes. For those who don't know, this book, takes place literally right after Return of the Jedi. Um, So, yes, we're still in Bright Tree Village when Han proposes to Leia. Leia says yes, they're going to get married in a couple days and Lando decides that Han needs a bachelor party and the Ewoks decide that they're offended that they weren't invited um, and invite themselves. And it's just exactly as chaotic (laughs) as you imagine that would be.
0: (laughs) It might have been like the hardest I've ever laughed in a Star Wars book because it was so on point and so perfect. And then there's Lando standing there sipping wine out of a crystal goblet that he somehow just had on Endor.
2: Yep, he would. He just out of nowhere, everyone's drinking out of like you know pewter or wooden cups, and he's got this crystal goblet that he pulled out of somewhere. You know, <laughs> it's it's so perfect. It was.
0: I loved that scene so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was kind of my first favorite moment. Um, and then I said, Leia is my favorite character. She is. Um, one thing that I really appreciate um, that Beth that Rivas threw in this book was this literally takes place, like starts out like a day after Return of the Jedi. Um, so Leia has just found out that mm-hmm. Vader's her father, Luke is her brother. Um, and, so we actually get to see some of that, see her like working through what that means, how she feels about it, what this means for her future. Um, so as a Leia fan, I really appreciated <laughs> that as well.
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to piggyback off you then, if you don't mind, because that's yeah. the first moment I want to mention. And it might have might have been my favorite moment in the book, and it does come pretty early. And it's when Leia stumbles across the funeral pyre, like what's what's left of it, the the pyre that Luke had made for Vader. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, it was really incredible to watch her grapple with that truth. Um, And her response to it is so incredible. Um, I really enjoy when she kind of stumbles across the pyre. Notices that you know Vader's mask laying there in the ashes, and she just screams, I hate you. Um, and and when I read that, like when I read it, it just like brought tears to my eyes, like the emotion that came over her just in these words. And, and I could see the scene, and what I just heard is like as I read that line, I hate you, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's Anakin, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. I think, I these comparisons have been made a lot, and and in recent years, but, um, you know, that, that Le- Leia is the child of Anakin and Luke is the child of Padme. Um, Leia really has kind of that, that fieriness that, that possesses Anakin. Um, and yeah, that, that moment just really stood out to me is very beautiful. Like she is, she is rejecting in a way that this, that this is tr- like, while it's, you know, objectively true for her, it's false. And she kind of has this, uh, Internal, coming to peace with it by deciding that family is chosen. It's not hereditary, and because Leia is then reflecting on how Bail and Briha are her family because they chose her as their daughter. They chose to be her parents, unlike Darth Vader. Um, and I and again, this this scene is just so beautifully written by Beth Revis and the way she talks about how she's looking up at the night sky and she she thinks about how her her parents, her real parents. Briha and Bale are stardust amongst the stars, whereas she's happy that Darth Vader is soot under her shoes. Um, And it's just like, wow, that's so powerful, right? Like that her parents are kind of this eternal force in her life. Whereas Darth Vader is, you know, study the bottom of my boot, right, Jason? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) To quote Anakin.
2: (laughs) Yes, to quote Anakin. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it it's it is a very impactful thing because she it is such a visceral reaction, um, especially at the beginning, and she she has to come to to terms with it throughout the book. She doesn't necessarily accept it fully by the end of the book, but she's made a peace with the knowledge uh, by the end of it. Um, within herself. Uh she's still processing. She's still got a lot to work through, but she has gotten to the point where there is a an acceptance of the fact. Um and and the other interesting thing is that she has trouble even conceiving of touching the force mm-hmm. because she think, feels that it's it's Vader's force. It's not Luke's. It's mm-hmm. not it's not the force. Um it's Vader's. Uh, and of course, the way that she touches it uh, initially is very much in the vein that that Anakin would. Um, it, it further backs up that point that that she really does have a lot of of aspects of Anakin in her. And I think that's that was a very interesting thing to to watch as she struggled with that on and off throughout the book and and tried to figure out how to. Navigate those waters, um, and and reach some sort of acceptance. It, it, like I said, it, it's not a it's not a done deal. She's still got a lot to process, a lot to to work through. But there is a level of all right, I, I, I the level enough to be able to touch the force and to start working through this, you know in the rational way that she likes to work through things. So, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah, well, and uh, Mary, Laura, I'm pretty sure you and I talked about this a little bit in some of our messages. Um, but after, as soon as I finished this book, I reread two old legends books, which were of course, the courtship of princess Leia, which is the old story of how Han and Leia get married. And it's a very, it's got some very troubling aspects to it, um, which they, of course, make fun of in this book, which I think was very smartly done, um, but also Tattooing Ghost, uh, which is a, a Troy Denning novel wrote, written shortly after Attack of the Clones came out, actually, um, and that that novel specifically deals a lot with Leia grappling with knowing that her father is Darth Vader um, and somewhat similar to this, um, and obviously that book takes place a little bit later in, in the Legends Timeline anyway, I think it's about five years after Return of the Jedi. So Leia has been living with that truth a bit longer. Um, But she also is, she's still at this place where, again, she objectively recognizes, yes, Darth Vader was my biological father, but he's nothing to me. And Tatooine Ghost is this story of her going back to Tatooine. She finds this old journal that was Shmi's and she learns about, you know, little adorable Jake Lloyd Anakin and it, it allows her to come to a level of forgiveness of him understanding that he wasn't a born monster, but it it, it, it was circumstance that made him that way. Um, did, was that resonating in your mind then too a bit when you were, when you were reading this aspect of the book?
0: Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I read either of them, but yeah, I do um, enjoy that look back that she has and kind of that, um, grappling with that um there's like I, don't, I remember this like one line from tatooine ghost where it's like they there's a past behind them but they they're looking ahead to the future and it's been like so long since i've read it but i still remember that quote because it's mm. like one of my favorites that um there she does have this past um but she's able to look ahead to the future mm. um and another great leia novel is bloodline um, and I kind of oh. felt like princess and the scoundrel was kind of like the start of that. And then bloodline, we got to see, you know, I think it's, I don't even know, like 20 years later. It's, it's a while Sounds later. About right. Yeah. Um, it's
2: about five or six years before the force awakens. So it might even be like, oh, even oh, just even over 20. Yeah. Okay,
0: so, even more. so it's, it's definitely a different Leia with a different perspective on this, but, um, just kind of that journey that we can see that this is the start, and then we get that novel, yeah, to see more of it
1: um well I know I know Jason, you have a few less points than us, but what's one of the first things that stood out to you?
2: well one of the things that um, was really one of the themes that I really enjoyed in this book that I didn't expect to get at all, uh, largely because I haven't really seen it explored anywhere else um is Han's missing year. Like, mm. the, the year he was in Carbonite. Um, and he's still, you know, dealing with that and trying to work through that and figure out, you know, what happened, how he relates to Leia, how he relates to Luke, all this history that happened while he was in suspended animation in Carbonite. You know, and and... and the relationship that Leia and Chewie have now is so different than what he last saw it as, you know, to his mind just a day or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet there's so much more history and subtext between, you know, Leia and Chewie, Leia and Luke. Just the the vernacular of what the rebels are talking about sometimes too, you know, just the, mm-hmm. you know, different events that have happened. Uh, and And him trying to figure out how to navigate that and try to you know accept that, and of course, you know he tries to to find that anchor in Leia, and sometimes she throws him a curveball uh and it it just kind of you know rocks his boat to continue the metaphor um but you know it it was a really interesting thing to to watch him, and we don 't get the resolution to it um in this book, because mm. it's, it's still an ongoing kind of thing, and it, it's it's such a short amount of time that you know this book takes place over that I wouldn't expect him to to really kind of because there's a lot of information that he has to go find, you know, or if he wants if he even wants to, you know. So it was one of those things that kind of popped up now and again, um, and and I really appreciated it because, like I said, it's not something. I've seen explored really anywhere else into any sort of
1: depth. So, I don't
0: think so. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, it, did that kind of surprise you, Mary Laura? The 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 fact that they really kind of leaned into that. Um, you know, Han, Han, like just the way they deal with him being in carbonite.
0: Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that did stand out to me, too. And I appreciated it because I was like, oh, yeah, I hadn't really ever thought about it before. But he lost a year. And what are we like a couple days past tattooing, and all this is done? So I was like, I can't believe I never really considered this before, like what he went through and what he must feel like. So I was um, glad that we got some of that um, to see his struggle as well.
1: Yeah, and it seems like even a little bit. They don't obviously dive too much into it, but they even give a little bit of what it was like for Han to be in carbonite. Like it sounds like it was this really weird, like somewhat conscious experience. Like he just remembers the darkness and the cold. Like it, it's it's not like he was in this like perfect sleep, right? Like, Lando says, Oh, he's in perfect hibernation. Well, that makes it sound like okay, it's not so bad. <laughs> but <laughs> when you have kind of Han reflecting on it, it sounds like it was quite terrible. Um right. like,
0: there was some trauma attached to it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well well when he goes from
2: having his, his hands down by his you know, his waist when he's dropped down to when it comes back up, he's reaching for for help. Yeah. There's it didn't happen as instantaneous and as painlessly as it was promised. It didn't do what it said on the tin. Uh, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point to bring up though, Jason. I'm glad, I'm glad you did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, uh, something else for you, Mary Laura, what is, what was another aspect of, of the story that, that clung to you?
0: And I mean, one part I liked was the wedding itself, um, And I loved that it wasn't just, like, one chapter. We got, like, three chapters of a wedding. Um, So we got to see both because the chapters are alternating from one and Leia's perspective. We got to see both their perspectives on the wedding. Um, And because it was on Endor, it had that unique Ewok flair to it. So (laughs) we got to... See some Ewoks try to interrupt the ceremony. Three POs involved. Luke's involved. It is just a whole big fun Star Wars. But it was sweet. Um, And then one thing I loved, like probably my favorite part about it, was Leia had talked about uh, the Rindan sword from Alderaan Mm -hmm. and how when um, her parents had told her when she was going to get married that they would strap it around her waist. But of course... We, there's no more sword and she doesn't have her parents there with her on this day. But then at the point when they are married, she feels the sword go around her waist. And I just got totally choked out because it was so beautifully written. And um, I loved that part.
2: Uh, that was definitely the moment I, I choked up too. like, not, not even a question about it. Like they started describing it and she was like, this. Suddenly there was a weight on my hip and I was like, oh, the sword. And like I I was walking while I was listening to this and I was like, I'm glad I'm wearing sunglasses right now. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it, that definitely was was a highlight of the uh, the wedding for me. That and the, I uh, forget what they're called, but the, the little insects that, that end up scattering around the entire place. And, yeah. You know, the amber butterflies for lack of a better term. Um, those were just the, the description of those was just beautiful and magical. So, mm.
1: yeah, well, I, it, once again, Mary Laura, I'm going to kind of just piggyback off you because that was the next moment I was going to point out as well. I, I just love <laughs> the wedding. So just for I, Jason, have you ever read courtship for princess Leia? I I think I did like,
2: well over a decade ago, like maybe two decades ago, sure. honestly. It was a long
1: time ago. And I mean then... galaxy, far, far away. No, um... <laughs> and then I know I know you have, uh, Mary Laura. So so you may remember this, but just, just a fun quiz question. Do you want to take a guess at how many pages of courtship of Princess Leia are dedicated to the wedding? I'm gonna guess like three. Okay. Mary Laura, do you remember?
0: I don't I it was not long though.
1: Yeah, it was a page, a page, oh, one page, I, the very last page. And that's it.
0: I think that's part of the reason why I appreciated this. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Um, now, again, I, I think Courtship for Princess Leia is a very fun legend story. But the fact that it's the story about their wedding and their wedding literally happens mm-hmm. in not even a full page. It's like half of a page and <laughs> then the last half page. Um, and it like you don't get any sort of descriptions, really, like you don't get any emotion to it. So I'm with you like it was wonderful to get this in over a couple of chapters again going back and forth between the two of them and part of what I loved about it is a diehard Ewok fan specifically an Ewoks cartoon fan. Um, I don't know if this was Beth Revis's intention or not but this is where my head canon went with it. Um, and, and I'd love to, to find out from her directly at some point if, if this is indeed intentional, but you know how they, when they walk into the Ewok, like sacred space, the temple area, there's, they talk about that like glowing Amber thing at the center of, so there is something tree, in the yeah. Ewoks cartoon called the sun star. And I was like, immediately, I was like, that's gotta be the sun star that low keeps. And it's so cool. Cause it's like this magical, like mystical uh, sacred element among the Ewoks so in my head that was the Sun Star, which comes directly from the cartoons and I also loved the kind of uh, space fireflies if you will um mm. but if the two of you have ever seen the Ewoks caravan for courage movie there's of course the uh, a lovable wisties which are these like they're called the fire folk in the cartoons um so I was I was like oh nuts I wish those could have been wisties but uh <laughs> That's okay. I mean, same concept. But like you, I mean, I loved the wedding scene. And again, as you were both talking about specifically that moment where she feels Breha putting the sword around her. And then it also notice it also points out how she can feel the whiskers of her father leaning down to like kiss her good luck and like. Well wishes and it's just this beautiful moment and bouncing around in her head because Lucas said to her previously that no one's ever really gone. She just she feels that they get to be there with her Um, and I thought that was just absolutely beautiful Um, and it's just such a it's such a sacred moment and that makes me so happy because again like the old legend story it happens in a page and here it, it really feels like a sanctified moment in star Wars canon now, like it's not just something that happens happenstance. It's not just like an afterthought, but there's such an intricate detail to the story. I mean, there's beauty to it. There's, there's wonder to it in the setting of this Ewok sacred place. And there's of course the humor of low wanting three to perform the wedding <laughs> and, uh, and Han being quite distraught at the thought of that, you know? Yes, uh,
2: absolutely. <laughs> and also the, the other humorous thing of, of Lando uh, convincing Han to wear this certain jacket because mm. it's from Alderaan. Uh, when it's really not, he's just trying to get Han to dress up and look nice for his own wedding <laughs> because he would have shown up in his vest otherwise. <laughs> right.
0: Wear clean clothes, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> yes. You take a shower, wear some clean clothes, and have this nice jacket. It's from Alderaan. Leia will appreciate the touch. And then she burst his bubble later. No, that wasn't from around at all. He's like, You could almost hear Han's deflation at that realization. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> yep. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, not only did she nail Han and Leia, um, she really nailed Lando, too. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, what's something else for you,
2: Jason? Uh well we're going to we're going to leave Endor here now. Um and we're going to go further on in the book. Obviously, um they take this this cruise, <laughs> space cruise. Um and they end up on this ice planet uh which is gorgeously described by the mm-hmm. way. I think it's nice to have a hospitable and welcoming version of a ice world in Star Wars too, not just Hoth. Um but along the way, we meet the the chief engineer of this starship that they're traveling on, uh, named Zama uh, Trinkris. And he's a Nautilin engineer. And for those of you who don't know, Nautilin is the same species as Kit Fisto. And of course, Kit Fisto is one of my favorite background Jedi ever. And so as soon as he was described, uh, I immediately sat up and took paid attention. Um, and I, I actually really do enjoy him as a character and he got involved quite a bit towards the the back third of the book um and we got to see him in action a few times you know obviously the the spectacular uh rescue of han and leia under the ice uh was great um and then we got to see him you know do his natural Nautilus swimming thing uh (laughs) as he helped the assault on the the empire's um base there, but yeah, I really enjoyed him. I, I felt like he was a, a very... Uh, I liked the the sort of... What's the word I'm looking for? The staunch... Uh, the, the character that he had. He, he had a, a strong sense of, of character and, and duty um, that I felt like fit very well with his character, with his job, and, and followed along with um, what he ended up being involved in, uh, and the fact that he decided to stay on this planet afterwards. So, uh, I just really enjoyed him as a character, and so that was something that I wanted to make sure I mentioned.
1: As I read it the first time, I was like, "Jason's going to like this guy." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just knew it. Not, not, not a question. That, that's <laughs> what one of those Jason.
2: Uh, yeah. Radar things go, you know. <laughs> Naolin gets mentioned, and Jason's radar goes, doo, 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 doo. yeah, homing in. Um, but yeah, that that's just one of my little quirks. But yeah, I, I thought he was a great character, and he had some pretty cool moments. So,
1: for sure. Um. Well, uh, it, what what what's something else for you, Mary Laura that that you enjoyed?
0: Um, So one thing we kind of touched on a little bit, but just sort of one overarching theme from the book that um, I appreciated was uh, the theme of choices and choice. Mm -hmm. Um, We see it it with, you know, Leia and Han, and Leia chooses Han to to marry him. But then there's this choice of, you know, Luke's offering her this opportunity to travel the galaxy and learn about the Force and become a Jedi. Um, And, of course, she has this apprehension now knowing about her parent, real parentage, um, and she's, well, Lucas has said, basically, you don't have to just choose one, you can do more than one, yeah. and I think at the time, she still doesn't want to, but uh, she chooses Han, and we kind of see her struggling with her choices somewhat, I mean, I don't think she ever does, doubts her choice in Han, but then does choosing Han diminish her role in the Rebellion, or I guess now it's setting up the New Republic? Um, what, How does this choice affect, you know, what all she's known for most of her life? Um, and then in the end, I think we do see her sort of settling into those choices, um, what she has decided. Also a choice to use the Force. Mm. Um, and I think she doesn't necessarily say that she tries, she says something about it. it's not power, it's, she felt it inside of herself, it was there all along. Mm. Um, but then just that choice, and I, we see it with Han too, um, because he knows that Leia has been about the rebellion for so long, um, and will still be, but chose her anyway. And again, with the engineer choosing to stay, we see it with some of the other minor characters, their choices on the planet, <laughs> to fight the empire or rather just to live with them is what they had chosen. So we kind of see them step up there. I really interesting the way it weaves through the novel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What, a, what a great point. Um, and so I'm curious then for you as, as, as particularly as a massive Leia fan, um, do you find that choice that's kind of presented to her? Um, and kind of the the first one that, like you said, is kind of laid out by Luke is you know oh we could go exploring the galaxy together and exploring the force, um, and and the fact that she sees it as well it's either that or Han, and also the rebellion. Um, what does what like what does that mean to you as like if, for Leia as a character? Um, because you know up to this point Leia's whole Kind of purpose and driving force has just been you know the cultivation of the rebellion, the overthrow of the empire that's essentially happened now, so now these choices lay before her that also allow her to kind of maybe reshape her own sense of self um so like yeah i mean how do, how do you see this choice as maybe being an incredibly pivotal moment specifically for leia
0: um so it's, I mean, I think especially just this, this time for her, um, because so much has changed in the last 24 hours for her with, you know, the Emperor's gone, the Death Star's gone, she now not only has found out Darth Vader's her father, but she also has this, now this legacy of the Force, mm-hmm. um, and that she, you know, could now possibly use, um, And I think also then her diplomatic skills, she knows they're going to be needed to try to bring systems into this new Republic. So I think it's just almost sort of whirlwind. Han proposes Hmm. like so Hmm. many things happened all at once for her. Um, And I think she focuses in on Han, but then they start swirling around again. It's well, what about, I have to tell Han about my father, my true father and, Oh well all these we need to reach these systems can I sneak that into my honeymoon um sort of <laughs> a thing um but then i think at the end you know when she does touch the force and that's a great moment as well when we see her use the force for the first time um knowingly that i think she realizes that this isn't necessarily me following in Darth Vader's footsteps this is my own path that i can forge mm-hmm. Um and I would love somewhere down the road to see like a novel or comic or something where she does start training with Luke. I think that would be very
2: really cool to see. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we know she does, at least for a while. Um yeah. based on you know the the rise of Skywalker, the information we got from the rise of Skywalker. Um but then of course she decides to call that off because of the premonition she gets about her son. So right. uh so we'll see uh, where that. I'm sure they've got ideas and plans for that. Uh, I would be surprised if they didn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I do like the uh, the mention that you know she has to make all these choices, and and in the sort of whirlwind of choices swirling around her, she kind of leans hard, at least initially, into what she already knows, which is why Mon Mothma conspires with Han to like actually. Send her away on a honeymoon, Um, even if Mon Mon even works in like a a little bit of oh PR for the New Republic to convince Leia it's okay to go, Um, (laughs) because and I think that was obviously I knew that was going to keep coming up, but the one thing I really just wanted to do was to like grab Leia by the shoulders and say. Sit down, take a breath. You, you've earned this, you mm-hmm. know, but she just can't. She just can't do it. So, yeah. <laughs> especially when everything else is so topsy turvy around her. So, she, I, I feel like she leaned into that, you know, because that is something she was familiar with while all it's, these yeah, other choices like, you know, are swirling. Yeah, it's so,
0: her better life and she's good mm-hmm. at it. So, it's what she goes back to do.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and definitely I that uh that sensibility of like Leia, let yourself rest, let yourself breathe. Um I love so that I'm pretty sure this is Beth Revis intentionally making a joke about courtship of Princess Leia early on when she can she shares with Luke that she and Han are gonna get married. And Luke's like, finally, and he says, you know, Chewie was telling me that if you didn't hurry up and do this, he was going to uh, drop you and Han off on an abandoned planet till you figured it out, which is, of course, <laughs> the plot of Courtship of Princess Leia Han captures her and takes her to Dathomir, um, which is cool that that's the first Legends book where Dathomir appears. Um, but yeah, I was like, ooh, this is this has got to be kind of like a, a, a like a little wink and nudge at the at the courtship uh, uh, plot line. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned and you both have kind of mentioned this, but Mary Laura, you just kind of specifically mentioned that moment of her touching the force the first time. And that's definitely a moment I was going to highlight as well. Um, I, I love the way that it happens and I love it was one of those scenes. Again, I think Beth Revis is a very evocative writer, which is something I really appreciated about the story. Um, and it's this moment that they're underwater, they're in danger, they're kind of losing this underwater skirmish, which in my mind as I'm like reading about an underwater skirmish. I can't help but think about the um, the opening episodes from season four of Clone Wars where you have the Mon Kalmari and the, the Quarren fighting each other. Um, and Leia just allows herself to just call out to the force. To recognize that it's not something to be controlled, and to your the point you were making, Mary Laura, it, it is. It's she understands that she doesn't have to be her father, that um, that the force at its core is something to lean into rather than to control. Um, but I do appreciate at one point in in all of that, in all of those moments afterwards, as she's kind of reflecting back on it. I think is the first time where she kind of understands why maybe Darth Vader became Darth Vader. Cause she understands the desire to use that power to protect the people you care about. Um, and there, it's, it's very explicitly written that um, you know, that that same desire Anakin has, the reason he wants more power in the force is to keep people safe. There's a brief moment where Leia understands wanting to use the force to be powerful, to be powerful, to protect the people you care about, and I thought that was really wonderful. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a really amazing experience um, where she where she calls on the Force and she she calls out to it simply for help, and then this sea creature shows up. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, again, Edont, Edont, thank you. Um, reminds me of you know again Ezra calling on the Pergil. Um, to come rescue them. This is Leia just kind of throwing it out there and trusting in the Force. There's there's a little bit of a, a cheeritness to that, right? It's not it's not about controlling it, but it's about accepting that it's there. Um, and and yeah, like it's it's this really beautiful moment where she does um, afterwards too talk about how kind of intoxicating it was to be wrapped up in the Force and how wonderful it was of an experience. And it kind of, she starts to rethink, like, maybe I do want to spend some time with Luke exploring this part of my, of my identity as well. Um, so it's neat because like at first, you know, as you were kind of pointing out, she sees it as a this or a that choice, right? Like I either go with Luke and kind of pursue force stuff or I can stay with Han and be in love and maybe even still help the rebellion. Um but by the end of it, when she touches the force, she kind of has this profound experience, as you said, where she understands that it's something in her, um, kind of like Luke teaching Ray in Last Jedi. Um, and that realization makes makes her kind of change her mind of like, maybe this is something I need to explore more because, my goodness, it's wonderful. Um, and it can be my own. I don't I am not I am not Darth Vader. I am very different from him. Um so yeah I love that moment with her touching the force. Yeah it was it's actually
2: the the other moment I wanted to bring up. Um because she does she just sort of the, the battle is you know started out going pretty good but it is now at this tipping point where the the base is about to blast into the the crust of the planet again and uh, they they can't get to the last repulsor lift unit to to sink it, um, and the the stormtroopers are holding everyone off, and there's there's not enough time, and Leia just sort of reaches out and calls for help uh, through the Force, and this massive massive Edont. and this is one of those there's there's certain scenes in these in the book that. I could see happening as Mm. I was listening to the audio. Um, And this was one of them, you know, this they've, they've sort of mentioned how big these creatures are a few times before. They're enormous. It's they're bigger than most of our whales. Uh, But, and it is essentially a a space whale here in, in this, this planet. Um, But it just comes out of the depths, just, you know, enormous and, Attacks the the base and knocks out the repulsor lift and just takes it down to the bottom of the the sea uh, in a spectacular fashion. Uh, the a moment of legend uh, that will will be told about for for years and years to come, uh, as they they say later on in the book. Um, and it was just one of those spectacular moments and the the fact that Leia was kind of intricately, intricately a part of that and, and sort of in a way riding along the Edont as it went on this journey, you know, through the Force. She, she wasn't controlling it. She wasn't, you you know, utilizing the Force to control it at all. She had just called out to it for help. And it responded in in a way that uh, blew everyone's minds, including my own. I was like, <laughs> I, they, they had kept talking about these creatures and I kept wanting to see them. I kept wanting to see them. I was like, I need to see this E-Dot. And it was like, well, there's this large shadow in the di- distance that they can't quite make out. And that's it. And I was like, okay, come on. And I know we're, I knew we were going to get something, but then the way that they brought it in was just, it was incredible and spectacular. And uh I, I loved it so much. So I like, I've got images and like the whole way that, that, that aspect of the battle is shot in my mind. Like I could, I could direct a movie for that, you know, because I've got it in my brain right now. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good. And then in the, even that imagery of this, this just giant uh, force of life coming out of the depths, I mean, that's, kind of the force itself rising up through leia it's something that is within her um that she's now giving herself permission to explore and to 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 express if you will um Mm -hmm. it's wonderful um mary laura i know you have a couple of maybe a couple of other things you wanted to mention uh yeah, I, I also have a couple more stills too. But uh, I was wondering what 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 is next for you that you wanted to bring up?
0: Um, well, kind of piggybacking off of that about the force. Um, I like how it's kind of all tied together at the end when she says, um, "Love is like the force." Mm. Uh, that she hadn't asked for it, but it had found her anyway. Um, and I think she says that she knew it was going to complicate things that her and Han. Being in love and being married is going to complicate things, and you know anyone who's seen Empire Strikes Back knows that they're going to have a little bit of a tumultuous relationship there, but <laughs> ultimately <laughs> each other. Um, so, just kind of a sweet moment there that it kind of all ties together: that the Force and her love for Han all together there.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was. That's such a memorable line that love is like the force um, that is now because my, my favorite line in a Star Wars novel has always been um, uh, from the end of the Revenge of the Sith novel by Matthew Stover in that last little caveat page where he says uh, love can ignite the stars. I thought this was this like this in that line, are like now my two favorite lines ever in Star Wars books, which is "Love is like the Force," <laughs> you know, you don't it finds you. Um, yes. I'm yeah, there. absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah.
2: And it it does complicate things, but it also makes
1: things a lot better if you accept it. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, know, one other little one other little thing I wanted to mention. Um, And this is a theme that kind of runs throughout the book, which is Han and Leia's desire for more time, Um, time -hmm. to just be together, time to explore their relationship together. Um, And to the point you made earlier, Jason, you know, Han is consciously aware of the fact that a year of his life has kind of just been stolen from him and a year of his time with Leia. Um and, and you know, so much of the beginning of the book is making it clear that yes, ultimately the war is won, but there will still be more fighting, right? There's still gonna be remnants to, to to mop up, and reflecting about how Han's gonna get sent somewhere with these, you know, this Pathfinder uh strike team that he's in charge of, and Leia's gonna get sent to all sorts of diplomatic missions. So they understand they're gonna be pulled apart more often than not as time goes on. And there's just this desire for more time and Part of the reason I honestly love that is because it reminded me a lot of a theme from uh, WandaVision. Uh, WandaVision is by far my favorite Marvel thing ever created. <laughs> um, and, and and it's actually first alluded to in the movie Infinity War when uh, Wanda and Vision are rescued by Black Widow and, and Steve Rogers and Wanda confesses like, oh, you know, they kind of broke curfew. And she's like, we just wanted more time. And that's something that comes up a lot in the show WandaVision is this desire to just have time with the people you love. Um, so that like because of my love for that theme in, in the Marvel Universe with Wanda and Vision, I kind of then infused some extra meaning maybe into that that theme here in, in this particular story, too. But I feel like it's the same thing. It's, it's this understanding that. Um, you know, to the point you made Mary Laura about, they understand that their love is going to complicate things. Um, and, uh, at the same time, there's, there's just this longing for as, as sneaking in as much time together as you can. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's just a really beautiful aspect of the book is, you know, just that, that desire to, to, to find the time to be together and And it's something that they
2: have to end up learning to work towards together too, because you know especially when they they first get on board the the starliner uh Leia does a bunch of the the p r stuff she's off talking with people and the the crew and stuff and Han goes to find uh a sabat game in the bowels of the you know, the the engineering halls. Um, and they're, you know, they know that they have a limited time on this, uh, this excursion, but they're both like, you know, opposite directions immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they have to figure out how to come back to each other, um, to, to make that time work. Uh, and by the end of it, they, you know, they, they figure out of that, uh, they're starting to figure out how to do that. Um, so it, it was, it's nice to see, but yeah, they it's, it's not just a, you know, an instantaneous, they know they want the time, mm-hmm. but their, their inclinations are to just completely go opposite directions and kind of squander that time initially and, and the. Obviously, that brings up conflict, interpersonal conflict between them uh, as we go through the book. And it's like, well, you did this, and well, you did that. and I thought you wanted that. I don't know what, did, you know, that sort of thing. It's the the constant uh, relationship marriage squabbles that happen, which I think was also another great part of the book is the the bickering that happens. Not only did it sound perfectly within character for Leia and Han, but it's definitely something I've watched go on in with my parents and you know other married couples that i know as they they've you know grown in their relationship uh and had to work through the complicated process of bringing two individuals together to make a a unit (laughs) a married unit so um yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah it was very felt very in character for them Mm. i I wouldn't have a Honeymoon without bickering.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, we'd all be shocked if it was, you know, peaceful and wonderful the entire time.
1: Well, you know... Would, go, right, ahead. go ahead.
0: No, please. Oh, I was just going to say, when you think about it, they really have barely had any time together. Um, um, because at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, they're still, you know, they obviously like each other, but it's still <laughs> that full-on bickering phase. And then... Maybe just like that Falcon ride to Bespin was like all they got. And and now here they are getting married. So really, they've had precious little time together.
1: Yeah. And I feel like part of what attracts them to one another is they both have such fiery spirits. Um, You know, their their passions and purposes are certainly different, but there's a fieriness to them Um that I think is what draws them together. Um, And uh, somewhat to this point, one, one little thing I wanted to, to mention as well is again, early on in the book, when they're deciding to get married, part of the reason they want to do this wedding, the reason they want to, to do something physical is to stake a claim of permanence that right now we're all riding this high of 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 the victory here at Endor we're riding the high of being in love together, even if it's been a very abbreviated relationship um, and it allows them to 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 like uh, kind of plant a flag if you will um, that this that this feeling they have is something they always want to remember, and that a wedding will allow them to always have that um, that again while while the circumstances of their life may pull them apart on, you know, on regular instances, this will be something that they always remember that they can lay claim to is uh, that they've chosen to be together, um, even in those moments they can't be, uh, which I thought was just really beautiful. Um, so I, I have one last thing I want to mention, but I want to also be quiet and make sure that the two of you have also had the opportunity to, to, to bring up the other things you wanted to bring up. Um, so, uh, Jason, was there anything else for you that you wanted to explicitly mention?
2: I, I think we've hit all the, the main points I wanted to bring up. So, uh, Laura, was there anything specific? You? Anything else on your list?
0: I mean just kind of I one other thing just loved about the book was that uh we don't have a lot of main character books in this time period. Mm-hmm. Um just that, you know, Hanle Luke, um, right after Return of the Jedi, you get some, you know, closer to um Force Awakens and there's aftermath and some of those. But yeah, I just really appreciated kind of just this time period in the new canon, um, with my favorite characters. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I'm in 100% agreement with that. I I still like the one thing I want more than anything is a Star Wars animated show set set shortly after Return of the Jedi, starring Han, Luke, and Leia. <laughs> you know, that would be, um, so fun. <laughs> I, I think clone the Clone Wars TV show did a lot to specifically flesh out Padme, Anakin, and Obi Wan, um, and uh, I mean Han, Luke, and Leia are pretty well fleshed out in their trilogy, but. I'd love more of their adventures because, again, I, I and this is obviously just speaking for myself. I I think that's still why, like, the sequel trilogy sometimes leaves me feeling hollow is because we get them back, but kind of in very quick ways. And they kind of just die. <laughs> I mean, they do important things. I want to be like for sure. But, um, you know, I. These are heroes that the three of us and, and many other fans, you know, we grew up with them. We love them. And it'd just be fun to see some more of their adventures. And, of course, that's pretty much all Legends canon was, was following these right. these characters around. So uh, total agreement with you there that it was really fun to see. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, a, it's obviously a Han-Leia-heavy story, but it was great to even just see Luke there for a bit and see Chewie there for a bit. Um, so, yeah, totally, totally uh, <laughs> on board with you there. Yeah, absolutely. It was it's nice it's
2: nice to see sort of the the uh the exploration that the moments and the 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 days and the weeks right after return of the jedi have gotten in the new canon. Obviously, you know, we've gotten it from a lot of different perspectives, but you know, there's this one well, obviously um Battlefront 2, the campaign for Star Wars mm-hmm. Battlefront 2, you know, starts that, you know, from the Empire's perspective just immediately after the destruction of the Death Star. Um so it's nice to see that, you know Return of the Jedi is getting a little bit of extra love. Um because obviously it's my favorite Star Wars. So I'm always down for anything that ties in Return of the Jedi, um in that way. So
1: one hundred percent agree with you there. So yeah.
2: Uh, All right, Carl, so, Yeah, the, What's the last thing the, on your
1: list? The last thing I wanted to just bring out, um, and it's mainly because once again I have found myself in a <laughs> Attack of the Clones uh, kick. I've been watching that. I swear I've been watching that movie like every couple of days. <laughs> um, and I also just reread uh, Queen's Hope, which is the final book in the E.K. Johnston Padme Trilogy. It's a phenomenal book. And something that really struck me, especially reading it so close to Princess and the Scoundrel, is how similar Han and Leia's relationship is to Anakin and Padme's. Um, Not exactly the same. I'm not trying to say it. They're they're obviously, all four of them are distinctly different characters, but there was a lot of overlapping themes that I kind of appreciated a lot. Um, You know, so something that was true in both Queen's Hope and Princess and the Scoundrel, Han and Anakin both have a bit of a resentment for the ways in which the galaxy pulls their beloved away from them. For Anakin, there's this real disdain for the Senate and for the Clone War, right? Like these two big encumbrances that are going to constantly pull Padme away from him. And for Han, after Return of the, Je- you know, after the events of Endor, he understands that Leia is going to be pulled away. Now, granted, Han's a lot more of a mature character than Anakin, um, so there's not quite the whininess for Han that there is for Anakin. But but there is a similar resentment that um you know he, he just kind of wants to to be with Leia but he he there's this like annoyance that he knows the galaxy's gonna pull her away. Um and and the the similarity is pretty apparent then for Leia and Padme they're just they're just such ardent advocates for the forgotten, right? That For the people that have been dispossessed or oppressed. Um, it's just always been their life's passion is to care for those people that the galaxy seems to forget. Um, and, of course, that's something Anakin and Han both love about their their significant others. But it's also what drives them a little crazy. Um, and, yes. <laughs> and, it, and if you think about it, I mean, Anakin grows up a slave. Han grows up is a scrum rat in the sewers of Corillia. I mean, these are two people that had to learn to survive. So there's a certain selfishness to them out of necessity, not out of poor character. Um, Whereas Leia and Padme get to grow up in kind of the lap of luxury, but also were taught to always be empathetic, to give back to those who don't have something. So they're, they're both pairings are kind of coming from very disparate, uh, upbringings, and yet they're just so drawn to each other. Um, and something as I was finishing up Queen's Hope the other day, E. K. Johnston writes about how Anakin and Padme are essentially these magnets that they they when they have, uh, occasionally are being pulled apart, but they always find their way back together. I'm like, God, that's that's just like Han and Leia too, right? So I just kind of appreciate that there's, there's this similar um, almost rhyming pattern to these relationships in Star Wars to, to quote our beloved George. Um, so that was just the last point I wanted to to bring up.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's the crazy. relationships are, yeah, the relationships are forged in, in the fire of, of conflict, you know, the, mm-hmm. the clone wars for Anakin and Padme, the galactic civil war with, Han and Leia, you know, they're brought together in these intense situations and that's what makes them want to latch out and hold on to the other, um, is, is these, these crazy circumstances and the conflict that they're having to, to struggle against and to survive through.
1: So, yeah. And I I guess I'd be remiss to not also mention this quickly because, um, as as a as a massive Han Solo fan and Millennium Falcon fan, I think it's great that it's, it's when when Han sends Chewie, you know, to to drop them off at the Halcyon for their honeymoon, he you know invites Chewie, you, you know, oh hey, the Falcon's yours, go back to Kashyyyk see your family, um, but I want you to make some improvements, you know, like he want he really wants to make the Falcon more of a a home space for Leia too, um, and there's this kind of this beautiful reflection for Han that for his whole, like, up until this point, his life has pretty much been, for him, the understanding of home meant the Falcon and Chewie. And now it's also Leia. Um, So I think that's just something really beautiful is that they just find themselves at home together. And I think that's just the most beautiful aspect of any relationship. You know, when you find yourself at home with another person, that's usually a pretty good person to settle down with, (laughs) you know? Um, And I think that's what I love most for Han is... Han is a... uh, when I say he's simple, I don't mean stupid. I think it's he's just a very straightforward person. Um, and for him, it's like, yep, I feel at home with Leia. This is who I'm going to settle in with. Uh, and, and I really love that aspect uh, that, that Beth Revis highlights again in, in the book. So this has been a blast. Um, is there any anything else either of you wanted to, to mention before, before we start wrapping things up and, and announce our giveaway? Uh, I, I think we've
2: hit everything on my
1: list. What about you?
0: Yeah, I think we got all everything on my end. This was so much fun.
1: Yeah, all right. agreed. Yes. Um, well, with that said, um, as I alluded to at the start of the episode, uh, we have an extra copy of princess and the scoundrel that we'd love to give to you. Um, very simple way to enter. This will be, uh, this will be over on our Instagram. Uh, if you do not have an Instagram, but would like to participate, um, your rules are, are very simple. Just send us an email with your favorite Han and Leia moment, and you'll be entered to win a copy of princess and the scoundrel for everybody else. Um, if you do have an Instagram, we simply ask that you, uh, the, the, the post will come out in the next couple of days, but simply like the post, share it to your story and, uh, mention a friend in the comment section. It's going to be very simple. The rules will be right there for you on the Instagram post but that's all you got to do to enter for a chance to win a copy of the book. Um, so before we go, um, I just want to thank you again, Mary Laura for, for being on the show, for bringing your insight to this book, especially your love of Leia. Um And uh Obviously you and I have had had some great conversations over Instagram and you've got a great Instagram page going yourself uh showcasing some incredible Star Wars stuff. So just wanted to invite you to share how folks could get in touch with with you or 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 follow the the really fun things you're doing with your your Star Wars Instagram.
0: Oh, thanks. Um thank you guys so much for having me. This was a blast. Um yeah, my Instagram is it's tristarrebel09. All think Star Wars, but a lot
2: of Star Wars books right now. So.
1: <laughs> Which is awesome!
2: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, well, Carl, if people want to get in contact with us, if they want to comment on any of their favorite moments from this book, or just talk about their favorite Han and Leia moments, where can people get in contact with us?
1: Um, well, of course, we are on Instagram at the Wampa's Lair. Um, we're also on Twitter. At Wampus Lair, and you can always email us at WampusLairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else, folks, before we wrap up this episode? This has been a good one. Mary Laura, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.
2: All right, well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number four hundred and eighty-four, The Princess and the Scoundrel. For Carl and Mary Lara, I'm Jason and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.